passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Here's a sample of a free podcast from the Post Wrestling Cafe. $6 gets you through the door at postwrestlingcafe.com. Hello and welcome to Post Wrestling's review of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Fighting Spirit Unleashed card, which happened yesterday in Las Vegas. My name is Bruce Lord, and for those of you who are getting this review on the free Post Wrestling feed, you may not be aware that I have been doing reviews uh, of New Japan shows for Post Cafe patrons with my co-host pretty much every week or every other week for the past <laughs> two months. Uh, Karen Peterson, much like Batman and the Joker, much like El Generico and Kevin Steen, I think that you and I are destined to do this forever, or at least until forces larger than us, namely John Pollock or Gato, say otherwise. Karen, how are you doing? What's happening down in Florida right now? The, the autumn cut keeps trying to creep in but then in the middle of the day it's also hot as summer here again so you know i'm glad i'm in the air conditioning i am ready to talk some new japan uh but yes uh for those who have followed the new japan reviews we you and i have been meeting very frequently <laughs> in the last couple of months and there's no sign of it stopping anytime soon no. apparently <laughs> no <laughs> we'll, we'll be back we'll next week <laughs> And, and, and apparently every week it's the Hotel California or the, or the Hotel uh, Sam's Place in Las Vegas or whatever, where you can check out or you can check in, but you can't check you, out. You can't ever leave. No, 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 no. Um, so a little bit of background about this show coming from Las Vegas. This is the first strong branded New Japan show since those Independence Day shows, which happened back uh, actually in Japan rather than in the U.S. back in July, which Karen and I also did reviews for. Uh, you actually have to go all the way back to May with strong resurgence for the last New Japan Strong show, which actually happened in the U.S. And that card was, of course, headlined uh, by the mercedes Monet willow nightingale match for the inaugural Strong Women's Championship, in which Mercedes obviously suffered that injury that she's still on the road to recovery from. Um, as somebody who really got into the idea of New Japan Strong during the pandemic, I watched all of the empty studio shows and whatnot, wrote a whole piece uh, kind of praising the show. 
on post-wrestling. I've been really interested in how the American presentation of New Japan product and sort of the roster and the roster decisions that come with it uh, have sort of changed as business has more or less gotten back to normal in Japan. Uh, Karen, do you have any kind of current up-to-date thoughts on sort of the current state of the concept or the branding of New Japan Strong and how these uh, this new set of Strong shows that we sort of have to look forward to have come together? It, it kind of reminds me of the pre-pandemic New Japan shows that were in the USA tours where you had like a cluster of four to seven shows that would circle a region, which had a mixture of New Japan talent and either New Japan talent that weren't based in Japan with this occasional smattering of local talent. Since the pandemic, it's kind of shifted more towards the American-based New Japan talent with a lot more independent talent mm-hmm. and a lot less Japan Japanese talent from Japan. It, it just, it doesn't feel as to use it, strong as it mm. used to be before the pandemic. We, we still haven't gotten back to that. They pack up the whole roster and send everybody over. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it feels more like, additional touring to keep those who are off certain tours like when it's a special like right now it's super junior tag league so all the heavyweights they got they know they got a couple they got a month to to figure out what they're gonna do before world tag league so let's keep them busy let's send them here let's send okada to AEW. let's let's give everybody projects to uh so no one's talking about ring rest once world tag league comes around in a, next month mm-hmm. uh but it, it's the it's still i hate to say it's, it's not enough but i want more like as somebody who used to regularly fly out to go to these shows around the country, it's not enough for me to buy to pack my bags, buy a plane ticket, buy a, get a hotel, and fly out. Mm-hmm. Half the time, the shows that they've had in the state, the ones I only go to, the ones in the states really are the ones in Florida, and that's only if they're in Orlando or Tampa. Like if there's a Miami show, I probably wouldn't even drive the four hours to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hate saying that about a promotion I love so much, but it's. For what it's be what's being charged versus what I'm given getting given, the prices have gone up, but the talent that I'm used to seeing when I see go to a New Japan show in the United States, like up until the G1 that was in Dallas, if there's a giant mismatch right now. Yeah, yeah. You look at the G1, that G1 card, or you look at the shows that would happen at the Walter. The Madison Square Garden show. The, oh, Jesus, the MSG one. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those. It, I have a like, as someone with a mortgage, it makes it hard for me to reconcile with my conscience and my bank account to keep doing this when I'm not getting the experience I used to get pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly, you know, I mean, there's, you know, you were talking about Okada just showing up uh, on AEW, right? Or things like Forbidden Door, right? Which have sort of taken a bit of a bite out of, or at least are obviously capable of bringing, you know, more of your high profile New Japan talent, or at least placing them in slightly more high profile matches. We'll get into uh, some of the higher profile New Japan talent and where they were positioned on this card as we go along. So as I mentioned earlier, we are in Samstown Hotel and Gambling Hall in Las Vegas for this card. Um, I've never been to Las Vegas, Karen, and I don't know that I'd ever heard of Samstown. Maybe I have. The whole idea of these various resorts and hotels and casinos that are down there in Vegas all has their own little ecosystem, their own theme and everything like that. It's, it's very strange to me uh, as a Canadian who's never been there. Um, 
I, I ended up kind of like, I was like, okay, what is this place? You know, it just has an odd name. So I, I was searching around and I was looking at reviews of it. And I was, I have to admit, I was surprised by how many people bother to write negative reviews of casinos <laughs> complaining that they didn't win any money at the casino. And I was like, do you have any of the basic precepts of how casinos and gambling work? Um, I don't know, Karen, your previous work as a, a flight attendant must have brought you to Las Vegas a lot. Do you have any uh, Vegas hot takes, any favorite haunts or casinos uh, to hit up or at least resorts to hit up in Vegas? Well, I also went to Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor in 2018 at Samstown mm. and stayed at Samstown. So yes, but the, so I could see why people might poo-poo it a little bit it is it, it's not the bellagio it's not you know paris it's not all the you know but again if if you're writing a review that you're not making money while you're going to las vegas where you're known to spend money that sounds like a you problem not the casino problem if if your if your hotel room has no door that's a hotel problem <laughs> you pouring your money into their slot machines that's a you problem right so uh favorite uh sin city brewing on the strip mm. a lot of good craft beer there um i when i go to when i used to lay over in vegas i used to go there we, my long layovers were just just to go eat food <laughs> we would eat and drink our way along the strip and then you know go to our hotel and call it a night um mm. but yeah vegas i haven't been there actually i don't think i've been there since death before dishonor like i haven't gone back but it's hot it's fun um but it's yeah it's the desert <laughs> <laughs> the blue jays farm team isn't in las vegas anymore so that's like one less thing that i could possibly be uh be heading down there to see but i'll keep an eye out uh, if i am ever down there uh for the brewing uh for the brewery rather i'm always uh you know very much a craft beer tourist uh in any town that i uh head to um if i was to write a review not so much of the resort although spoiler we kind of have some bonus content with some footage of that resort <laughs> Uh, coming a little bit later in this review. Uh, I, rather than complaining about the, uh, you know, the, the slots being stingy or anything like that, I would have said that the hard cam could have used a little bit more lighting uh, on this show. It was kind of dark on the hard cam uh, a lot to the point that I was sort of wondering like, oh, is is another entrance still happening or are we getting a, a lights out and a run in happening at a couple of moments uh, j just during the regular flow of this show. Um, getting into the show itself, we should note here that this marked the debut of incoming English New Japan commentator Walker Stewart, uh, who will be effectively taking Kevin Kelly's position over sometime in the new year for the majority of the Japanese New Japan shows. Uh, he was making his New Japan debut here alongside Veda Scott, uh, who obviously has been doing a whole lot of work on various uh, West Coast indies, as well as a couple of, I think, the odd... New I think she might have been calling that... Um, uh, that show in May with with the women's tournament on it. I could be wrong in, in that regard. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, I don't know if, if you had any immediate takes on, on Walker Stewart. I thought he had a pretty damn good cadence, uh, was up to date on, you know, kind of effectively everything that was going on in New Japan. Uh, you know, didn't get too into the weeds with the technical details. Uh, has a good, you know, I thought a very good tone of voice for this uh, for this sort of work, which is always nice to hear. Uh, so yeah, for somebody who is like, what, 22, 23, he's ridiculously young. Uh, I thought he acquitted himself pretty damn well. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was the problem with, with someone that has a very soothing voice is that when you're really tired, it, it's hard <laughs> to stay awake, despite how much action's going on in the ring. I was like, 
I don't need dulcet tones right now, sir. But it was, you know, I, I I'm optimistic. I'm curious to see how he does handle moving forward, especially if he's going to be spending like doing the long tours in Japan. Um, I don't. I think one of the, the biggest things that we've noticed since the pandemic was the split between the Japan commentary team, English commentary team, and the New Japan Strong international commentary team. Mm-hmm. I don't with with the way that they keep breaking their promise because there was that promise that they were going to try to not book new japan tours in japan with international shows at the same time you can't have your commentators in two places at the same mm-hmm. time yeah so no, it, it, it begs the question is it going to be once he gets his foothold and goes over to japan formally will they bring back ian Riccoboni or will they find someone else will veda become the lead commentator i don't know and it's like we you know they used to have a really good thing you know with um uh matt ray Walt when he was working with kevin but now i think he's going back to wrestling and ian rickabani love me some ian rickabani he was doing great but now he's seemingly been spirited away to the AEW camp as well so i don't know um but i'm curious to see what who who they have in mind going forward for this next Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah to your your point there we have new japan effectively running against itself in the sense that the uh super junior tag league is kind of running concurrently here uh we'll get into that and sort of the current standings of that at the end of this review um have you been keeping up are you up to date on super junior tag i i i it's been a bit busy at the office so i have not i think this week might be my week to just binge it while i'm doing all the other things (laughs) um but I, i have been keeping it like tabs here on here and there uh i would like to say that i want my cut of the el despoato uh, team name <laughs> because i thought i i found it uh i found it i chuckled a bit because it's it's, it's we're, we're getting my dad into... joke <laughs> materialized we're also getting like exactly the sort of like begrudging grumbly odd couple pairing there with Desperado just not wanting to play along with all of Wado's ridiculous t-shirt shenanigans and, and getting on board and Despy being the grumpy old crusty stick in the mud uh, sort of guy. Uh, I think I'm about two thirds of the way caught up right now. I will say that in terms of actual matches, uh, the main event between Catch 2-2 and the War Dogs, I believe that was on night one, is by far and away I think the best match. No surprise there. I think that's also the night one card that features a Zack Sabre Jr. TV title defense against uh, Oleg Bolton, which is also worth watching as well. Um, What perhaps was maybe not worth watching uh, was the first match on the uh, pre-show of Fighting Spirit Unleashed here. This is a strong survivor singles match uh, between Matt Vandegrift and Buck Skinner. I think the recently renamed Buck Skinner. Um, Vandegrift is a familiar name for folks who are keeping track of West Coast Indies. Uh, He's worked a handful of West Coast GCW shows, Santino Brothers shows, things like that. Uh, For his part, uh, this is only Skinner's, I think, seventh match that has actually been listed on caged match uh and he is a trainee at the newly rechristened uh njpw academy the former la dojo uh the strong survivor singles stipulation here uh is that the winner of this match is going to get some sort of an appearance on the november 10th lone star shootout card in dallas and oh boy this would not be the last mention of that card um in terms of this actual match, look, Skinner has a decent amount of size and and weight to him. 
but he looked very, very green here. Uh, you know, he was hitting some elbow drops and palm strikes. Uh, he responded to a buckle bomb from Vandegrift with a big boot and a far too ambitious, I thought, kind of overhead twisting cutter. Uh, Vandegrift ends up putting him away with a 450 at about five and a half minutes in. Um, I, I can't really get around it, Karen. This was not good. Uh, we are used to seeing, I think, um, the sort of young lines that we have seen in both the U.S. and the kind of the, the, the now graduated, you know, kind of Bullet Club war dog milieu between them and even, you know, you're just black trunks, you know, plain vanilla young lions back in Japan. There's a certain level of experience that each of those guys have by the time they are put on a televised uh, or broadcast, I should say, New Japan sort of show and Skinner just does not have that. I mean, if this is only his like seventh or eighth actual professional match, then that's maybe no surprise. Um, you know, Vandegrift wasn't bad, but was basically having to work the whole time, I thought, to sort of connect the dots, which Skinner couldn't. There was very much that that NXT face of just like, right, I have to think about the next thing that I'm doing while I'm doing the thing that I'm doing right now, you know, and that's not to, you know, whatever, turn no, this into you, an you, NXT you, dumping no, no, no. sort of thing, but you, you know what you, I'm talking about. You literally took the words right out of my mouth. I I love that they're trying to make New Japan Academy into the, you know, the next version of LA Dojo, but that this match should have been a YouTube exclusive or YouTube ma- match. This isn't what I would have expected for a, new, a, a buy-in pre-show where I'm no. trying to hook people in to buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, it's a great experience. I like the, I like the concept that they're trying to make it the, well, if you do well here, then you're going to go on to another new Japan programming mm-hmm. uh, program in the future. But this gives me very much. I just signed at NXT. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still relatively fresh. And it, it just, I, I really don't want to like say bad things about it, but it's not, what I am the standard of which I am used to when I'm watching a new Japan show, even mm-hmm. if it's an opening match with a young lion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, a standard it, it, that's been it, set very high in Japan, I think. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I understand the intention. And I think that's why when they do like, they put like on new Japan world, they put the new Japan Academy show and put it on there. That's fine. But I don't think they're ready to, like, if this is a multi-man, Sure. And whoever gets the pin gets to go to the next show, sure. But I don't, I don't think the singles match was the best way to open up the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Things improved a little bit with our second um, pre-show match, a six-man tag featuring Balian Aki, Jacob Austin Young, and Titus Alexander taking on the Team Filthy trio of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, recently reunited, or just now reunited, with Danny Limelight. Uh, if you're not aware, uh, Balian Aki, you've probably seen him, uh, or if you are a, you know, <laughs> uh, an AEW dark viewer, you know, uh, like myself, uh, uh, or, or Kate from Montreal. Uh, or you enjoy the, cho- the Gato Move Choco Pro. I, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is like, as a someone who stays very far away from all things Gato Move, uh, you know, I, I mostly know Balenaki as Emi Sakura's running buddy there. But yes, he's, he's very much associated with, with Gato Move, of course. Uh, Jacob Austin Young is a uh, Vegas indie guy who's been around for a number of years. And of course, Titus Alexander has been very much the focus of the last year of West Coast Pro shows. Um, so Limelight hits a nice springboard blockbuster to Young. Uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew are double teaming him for a bit before a hot tag to Titus, who gets a springboard cutter on Limelight for two 
and later a chaos theory for two, but another springboard cutter, this one delivered to Alexander by Jarrell Nelson, Nets team filthy to win at seven minutes. Uh, I thought this was fine. Nothing really of note. Uh, mostly just thought it was interesting to see Limelight back in the mix with his first, you know, New Japan or strong related match in 11 months. Uh, so I don't exactly know what's been going on over there. Well, it's one of those things where, again, Team Filthy, they they are a mainstay of New Japan Strong and New Japan, you know, pri- more so after the pandemic started. So it's like they this was the per- this should have been the first match on the card on, on the, the pre-show card mm-hmm. because they are mainstays. You know who they are. This match will set up some shenanigans later on in the show because there's a lot of shenanigans on this show. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where it's like. I'm 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 glad that some more familiar faces from New Japan Strong, like Dan Lewis, mm-hmm. have fi- have finally come back. I, I think that you know bringing him back while you know good old my 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 boy is Monster Saucer over causing trouble. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's one of those things where it's I'm glad to see him back. So it, it's like it's kind of like you know a reunion of sorts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it's is it a, a, a seven star classic? No, but it's it's more of the New Japan Strong brand that I'm like I'm re, I'm remember I'm familiar with. So it kind of felt more like New Japan Strong proper again. Yeah, 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 and and, and had the sort of flavor that you'd expect for for a strong pre show sort of match. Into the actual card itself, we're beginning with a four way number one contendership match uh, between Satoshi Kojima, Fred Rosser, Jeff Cobb, and Alex Coughlin, the winner of whom gets a shot at the New Japan Strong Open Weight Championship, which is going to, of course, be contested later on in this card. Speaking of people kind of returning, uh, it was nice to see Rosser back in the mix, taking a little bit of a break of uh, from his duties as one of the trainers at the New Japan Academy. You know, uh, if you look back, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, if you look back at the three-year run of New Japan Strong Television uh, and kind of what happened and what came out of that, the whole kind of like rebirth and representation of, of Fred Rosser is really one of the highlights, right? You know, yes. I mean, without wanting to, you know, you know speak down to him or anything like that i don't think anybody was sort of thinking like oh my god i can't wait to see what happens with darren young after this latch best this uh the, at the time that you know that current batch of wwe cuts but uh, you know man uh he's, maybe- he's one of the ones that has, has thrived the most oh as yeah, a result yeah, yeah. of being cut free yeah, just built himself back up from the ground up in a totally different presentation that is so much more interesting uh, and, and so much more enjoyable. Uh, also, I will say that uh, to this match, uh, just having you know seen him live uh, recently in Seattle, oh boy, does Satoshi Kojima still hold up great in the ring, still has that aura, still has that mystique. Yes, this is somebody who has held the biggest championships in all three of your major Japanese promotions, and, and you know he still carries that with him. And I thought that that really held over into this match uh, where you get uh, Kojima delivering the machine gun chops and those are just over as all business. Uh, We get dueling delayed vertical suplex spots from Coughlin and Cobb with each man kicking at each other while holding another (laughs) opponent up in the suplex position. That was pretty cool, but also not going to be the last very, very silly, but impressive kind of dueling big man tandem mat uh, spot that we will see tonight. Um, There was a lengthy chop standoff between all four men, including Kojima hitting the machine gun chops to all three men who are stacked into the corner. Uh, There's some power moves for each man uh, for two counts, but it is ultimately a brain buster for two and then a lariat for three. 
from Kojima delivered on roster just shy of the 10 minute mark, which sets a date for Kojima, just the fourth man, like I said, to hold all four of those titles to pursue a slightly less prestigious title. Uh, and we will find out later on tonight uh, who is going to be holding that belt at the end of this card and who Kojima will be challenging. Um, thoughts about this match and or Koji as the next challenger, Karen? Well, you know, I'm a Koji fan girl, so I was I was excited. I actually went in the into the match thinking he doesn't have a shot. It's 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 probably gonna be it's probably be Jeff because it usually it, it went in doubt they go to Jeff for everything. But I was pleasantly surprised. I will save my uh my my rest of my thoughts on Kojima after that we talk about who he will be challenging, uh for the strong uh, open weight championship later. So I don't want to. I don't want to spoil my spoils. <laughs> this is kind of an odd thing to say, but I really liked the the age range and the variety of backgrounds that yes. each of these guys is now like coming to New Japan and to Strong From. They've all have such a wide, wide, wide range of of experiences and training and whatnot. Yet, to our point about you know what does new what is the New Japan Strong flavor and everything, all of these guys feel very, very much at home in yes. that sort of milieu. Uh, so that was kind of nice to see. And it kind of was like getting me again, kind of thinking philosophically about what strong is. You yeah. know, this wasn't anything like, oh my God, you know, break down the door to go and see it or anything, but it was a fun opener, I thought. It, it's one of those things, if you want, if you want a, and what I would consider an authentic New Japan strong match, this is this is it. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of everyone uh, because Kojima has been one of those uh, those wrestlers that has regularly come to the US, both pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And if you can walk into a room and the whole audience starts a bread chant, I think, you know, I think you you kind of command the room. So mm-hmm. yay, bread dad. Well done. <laughs> We're moving a little bit away from that traditional New Japan strong flavor with our next match, a tag team match between Stephanie Vaquer, Zuxis, and taking on the team of Johnny Robbie and Juvia. I'm sure I am mispronouncing this. I heard it spoken five different ways. Same. Um, <laughs> God, I, 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 I apologize, folks. Um, you know, I think, uh, Karen, you and I were both really impressed by Stephanie Vicker when we saw her in that match with Mercedes Monet back in May, uh, again, for that one night uh, New Japan Strong Women's t- uh, Tournament. Um, you know, I, you and I talked about how, at least in my case, I had not really seen any of her work. I don't follow much CMLL uh, at all, but I thought she really, really impressed there. Uh, and to that point about my relative CMLL Ill- ignorance, I have to admit that I know effectively nothing uh, about the th- other three women in this match. Uh, Zooks has been working uh, pretty regularly in CML CMLL this year. Uh, Johnny Robbie has been working West Coast Indies for the last couple of years, but has recently joined the New Japan Academy as one of its trainees. Uh, and Juluvia, uh, who is married to Ultimo Guerrero, I found out, uh, is a longtime CMLL, uh, CMLL vet going all the way back about 15 or so years. Um, this was, you know, uh, it wrestled under Lucha Rules, so we're effectively talking about a tornado tag. Uh, moved pretty fast with a lot of pin breakups. There was initial focus on Robbie's quick reversals, though her and Zooks kind of got crossed up a couple of times there. I think there was some miscommunication happening. Um, Vaquer drives Robbie's head into the mat repeatedly with a head scissors and got a pretty cool-looking tight jumping DDT onto Robbie for two. I just really liked something about the execution of that DDT. Uh, Zeuxis and Jiluvia are brawling outside the ring when from outside of the camera frame, Vaquer hits a big springboard crossbody to Zuvia over the barricade. Zeuxis hits a top rope Spanish fly to Robbie and Vaquer immediately follows that up with a package pile driver on Robbie for the pin at about seven minutes and 45 seconds. Um, 
After the match, Vakare takes the mic and challenges Mayu Iwatani for the IWGP Women's Championship at the Dallas Lone Star Shootout card in a couple of weeks. Um, Karen, a very wise man once said, it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. I was talking in the previous match about how everyone was on the same page despite coming from different backgrounds and roots to this show. And I don't know that that was really the case here. Um, It sort of felt like there were just a few too many moving parts uh, sort of with folks moving kind of at different speeds and either falling behind or getting ahead uh, of one another. But once again, just like we said uh, in May, I thought Vicar looked great here. There is a tightness, a precision, uh, and an efficiency to her delivery of pretty much everything that she does that I find really, really engrossing. So if nothing else, uh, I found her a real highlight of this. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Veda mentioned on commentary was that literally these four women flew in from Mexico th- that morning because they were participating in the uh, Grand Prix de Amazonas, like their annual women's uh, like wrestling Grand Prix. And it was one of those things where it's like, they had like 16 different people participating in that tournament, including Sumi Sakai and, uh, oh my gosh, Mae Suruga, who you also know from AEW, and a couple of other women. But it was like, they literally flew in. I think, you know, with, with Johnny Robbie having only two years of experience compared to everybody else who has multiple years of experience. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was the, again, I like that they're trying to incorporate new Japan Academy into the greater new Japan strong sphere. Um, but I don't know if, okay, I, if this was the case, I would have rather this been the second match on the pre-show. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and especially given that this you know, was not going to be the end of the CMLL flavor on this show. No, there, there's a, there's a this is like the pseudo CMLL show. CMLL goes to Vegas. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I remember last time we were talking about Zuxies. She was in the 2018 May Classic. She mm. won. She beat Swole, uh, Ariel Monroe, aka Big Swole, in the first round to lose to Io Shirai, the tournament winner in the ah. second round. Um, Stephanie Vacare, uh, it was mentioned that she did go to stardom, but that was back in 2017, 2018, pre-Bushi Road stardom, only five matches. Earlier this year, she went there for th- uh, for three months with Dalis, another woman from CMLL, and she they made the rounds through Ice Ribbon, Pro Wrestling Wave, Tokyo Joshi Pro, Sendai Girls. They were everywhere. Uh, Juvia? Because in Katakana, it was Juvia, but then they, they were calling her Yuvia. So I, again... Apologies to all my Spanish-speaking friends. Uh, I am a gringa. I don't speak the Spanish. I try very hard, but I, I know I am butchering that name. With her long, like, 15-year career, back in 2012, she went to Japan with part of a crossover between now-defunct promotion called Reina and CMLL, and they had a, they, like, uh, now it's like CMLL and Ice Ribbon are the ones that are working together, but they have a tag team championship. And she had lost to a plucky young upstart in this. Uh, Zuxis was one of them. The other one was Mima Shimoda, who now works for New Japan and does a lot of work with the CML talent. So it was, it was a lot of layers. And then I went to a rain and deep dive after that. But, but anyway, it was really interesting because I don't watch much CMLL. What, what I can watch, I usually see on clips on the internet, even though I really wanted to watch the Amazonas tournament. I just, just didn't work out for me this time around. But yeah, it was. It was a good match. I like that they let Stephanie set up that match against uh, Mayu. Uh, it's just one of those things where, again, not that I'm like, well, women should be on the pre-show. Women should be everywhere. But I feel like this could have this been a nice yeah. 
compliment to the six man tag that was on the pre-show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I think setting up that that Vicara and uh, Mayu match is, is something that I certainly have like a lot of interest in now. And and look at you, you're, you're talking about like not knowing too much about CMLL, just like me. But you know, you kind of you use the Joshi back door to like get all of this this deep. <laughs> I, I kind stuff. of have a column here at Post called Dream Slam Monthly where I talk about the Joshi. So I had to do the I had to do my due diligence. <laughs> Just like just hearing one name saying that they were in Stardom for 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 one time, I was like, "That's not Ooh. enough for me. I need more." <laughs> <laughs> and we get that history lesson there. Thank you very much. Uh, moving up next, a singles match between Gabe Kidd and Tom Lawler, and I was really surprised that this is a complete first time meeting uh, between these two. Not even any tag matches or or you know multi mans or anything like that where these two uh, ever bumped uh, into each other in the past. Um, you know, and look if we're talking sort of about you know new japan strong and new japan strong flavor let's get tom lawler back on more new japan shows and tours please and not just the american ones like look if you look back at the 32 men in this year's g1 are you really telling me that you couldn't have swapped one of those guys out for lawler come on gato get it together look at this man um stop reading my secret notes bruce there's a lot of bad comedy that is kind of cluttering up North American wrestling right now. I always have room for any of Tom Lawler's boy George shenanigans. That is something I am, I am always in the mood for, or, or the, uh, the, uh, the, the outfit reveals with the trunks and everything like that. Uh, because, and, and he backs it up in the ring. My hope is that with historic crossover two being announced that he gets to wrestle with Shuri again, because mm. Shuri's his favorite wrestler in the whole world. And, I at, being at historic crossover, I have not seen a person have more fun wrestling than Tom Lawler did in that match. So yes, please send that man to Japan more often if you can. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So Kenta is not the only Bullet Club member who has been making waves just down the I-5 from me in Defy Wrestling. Kid has stolen Shaft's Pacific Northwest Championship and has spray-painted it up with the Bullet Club logo and just trashed it, uh, that, that that illustrious built up pretty good. Uh, Tom Lawler, for his part, is not mucking about with any pe- uh, petty theft. Instead, he is signing women's chests on the way, or one woman's Consensually. On the way consen- to the room. Consensually. Consensually signing. This was she someone who was asking asking for him to sign her chest uh something that i'm i I don't know has happened uh in at least in wrestling uh since the days of the sportatorium or you know kind of outside of that uh the days of van halen um lawler also had an apron on i am not sure why this was there i'm sure there is a funny explanation somewhere on social media but i lack the context for that particular sartorial choice there are a whole lot of strikes and suplexes from both guys as things start off pretty hot here. Uh, this is, however, a New Japan show. So, of course, regardless of which side of the Pacific we are on, we need some guardrail spots and audience walk and brawl. Uh, Kid gets a belly-to-belly suplex on the floor, and the striking resumes inside the ring with control being exchanged. Lots of forearms, PKs, and the like. Kid turns a not-so-giant swing into a half-crab in a nifty little transition. Uh, Lawler uses a diving tackle to set up an overhead body slam and a nasty bust saw kick for two kid blocks the nasty knee on the brain the nkotb and hits a sheer drop brain buster for two there is some mucking about with that defy belt some ref distraction and then a low blow and a belt shot from kid and a pile driver finishes lawler off and gives kid the win at about 12 and a half minutes um this didn't quite get to the level of intensity that some new japan striking contests you could name you know featuring guys like your shingos or your ishis uh 
generally do, but I thought it was still pretty fun. Uh, the finish, I think, was a necessity given the longer-term booking of Kid and the continued pushing of uh, Bullet Club War Dogs. Um, you know, but it was nice to see him kind of healing it up and looking mean and credible without a bunch of the, you know, chair shot BS or the kind of the running out of the start, uh, you know, very over-the-top repetitive um healing that we saw in the g1 this was a more traditional sort of dialed down uh heel work and I, and I was okay with that it's one of those things where when i think of new japan strong as a brand tom waller is the first name that comes to mind you know he was the inaugural strong openweight champion he had a monster run with that belt would i like to see him going for other belts like the one that happens at the end of this show yes mm-hmm. please and thank you mm-hmm. um but He's oh, he's he's so dependable that if it he doesn't seem to mind where if the the end game for right now is putting kid over, he seems fine with it. And I think as someone who's been wrestling as long as Tom Lawler has, that says a lot for his character as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like and as a person. Like he 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 knows he knows what needs to be done for the the overall success of everyone else. So like I I I do love the more technical side of Tom Lawler, but you know, when when it's Vegas. They're having they're they're having fun. I mean, oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't fault people for having fun. And it was just the right amount, as you said, the right amount of shenanigans. It wasn't overinflated with twenty eight people that didn't need to be there. It was just enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lawler has definitely read the brief and understood what the program uh, and the necessity was here. We get a quick little backstage promo from Hyann. She is excited to be here, uh, and her time in New Japan is just beginning, and she's excited about challenging Julia for the Women's Strong Openweight Championship. Or No, excuse me, it's not an Openweight Championship. It's just the Strong Women's Championship that will be coming a little bit later in this program. Um, we up have next an eight man tag team match continuing on with the kind of the the kind of the the soft branding of this as a as a you know de facto CMLL show is going to continue with an eight man tag between uh the team of Atlantis Atlantis Jr Hiroshi Tanahashi and Mystico taking on Adrian Quest Rocky Romero Soberano Jr and Tiger Mask a very interesting mix of CMLL legends CMLL up and comers New Japan regulars, New Japan strong uh, regulars as well in this one. Uh, so this was billed as Atlantis's uh, 40th anniversary match in the USA. Uh, but also we have the continued development of Atlantis Jr. as one of the faces of the future of CMLL as it continues that real wave of momentum that it has had for pretty much all of this year. And of course, the continuation of Rocky Romero's Rudo run in that promotion. Um, there's a big reaction for Tanahashi as he comes out, as always, uh, as there always is whenever he is working stateside. Go Atlant- Atlantis <laughs> is presented with a bouquet and is posing for a photo with his team when the bouquet is grabbed and dashed across his head by the dastardly Azucar Rocky Romero. Uh, and we get the Rudos beating down the Technicos uh, through now through a ring that is now full of rose petals, which is a pretty cool visual. Um, to quote a very different Rocky, I didn't hear no bell, but it's Lucha Rules anyway, and I guess at some point this match technically started. Uh, Soberano <laughs> gets a moonsault to a draped Mystico. Atlantis is rather slowly rallying uh, and kind of trying to outwit and outmaneuver the Rudos. Uh, Atlantis Jr. hits a big plancha to the outside to more or less reset things uh, as that initial advantage that the Rudos had is reset. 
The ace hands out dragon screws to all four of his opponents and nearly hands one to referee Justin Borden as well. Uh, I have to imagine that all of the abuse that Borden took during those classic PWG shows is probably seeped into Tanahashi's brain. And, uh, you know, yeah, he, he just wants to give Justin what for. Atlantis Jr. monkey flips Sobrano clean across the room or the ring rather twice. Uh, Mystico and Rocky renew their hostilities. Tana gets into the lucha swings of things with a plancha. And then Atlantis Sr., we should specify, just drops Adrian Quest on his head in a very scary botcher miscommunication. I think I replayed this a couple of times. I think maybe what happened here was that Quest thought this was going to be a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and positioned himself to take that, but Atlantis just kind of dropped him instead. Um, Quest seemed to be okay, or at least okay enough, uh, to take a powerbomb from Atlantis Sr. to end the match at about 10 minutes. Um, And if nothing else, the crew sweeping up the last of the flowers gave Mystico the chance to do his crowd work afterwards, which had to have lasted at least half as long as this match did. Uh, Never let it be said uh, that Mystico passes off the opportunity uh, to let the crowd know how much he appreciates them. Um, There were some fun moments in this. I would have liked to have seen Sobrano get a little bit more. The good news in this match, Karen, uh, is that Tanahashi was not the oldest performer that everyone else had to work around uh, in order to carry this match. Um, There's been a lot of, you know, kind of lucha in the U.S. talk as of late, and certainly the kind of resurgence of CMLL has has spurred on a lot of that. Uh, I want to specifically recommend the conversation that Jesse Collins had with Cubs fan on Jesse's Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast a couple of months back about the state of Lucha and the question of kind of Lucha in the U.S. Uh, I will say this was a very, you know, this is a New Japan strong card and this was a very New Japan crowd. It was not, I don't think, one of those Texas or California crowds that turns out for those really big kind of indie Lucha showcase cards and will put, you know, two or 3,000 people, uh, you know, into a San Antonio arena to see kind of a, a Lucha all-star card. Um, but it did very much feel like Mystico's star power is something that has crossed over at least to California. Uh, and yeah, you know, that very CMLL style uh, rampage match that he had with Rocky uh, certainly helped to showcase that. But I did sort of feel as though the Mystico and Rocky stuff kind of overshadowed uh, the ostensible, hey, it's the 40th anniversary of Atlantis business happening in this match. Yeah, it was. The, I, I did appreciate the uh, the use of a different kind of red this time around. It wasn't scarlet. It wasn't. It wasn't a uh, you know crimson. It was just Rocky Romero's a romantic at heart, and he just wanted to set the mood. He just wanted to you know shower the ring with rose petals. Um, yeah, I mean it, the thing about this match is that it was. It's just a celebration of this man's wrestling for forty for forty uh, years. D- did the the undercurrents of what's going on currently down in CMLL between everybody else kind of overshadow it a bit. But if you, if you, if you, if you go into this match thinking that Atlantis is going to have this like 18 star classic (laughs) after 40 years, I I hate to break it to you, but he he was just happy to be there. (laughs) And Sukabayashi was happy to have them there. That's basically what this match was. I did like that, you know, Tiger asked, I know that WH loves to call him Grumpy Tiger Mask, but, you know, he he keeps going down to CMLL to do shows. So it was a great mix of those who regularly not just go down to CMLL from Japan, but also uh, come over to Japan for, like, Fantastica Mania and those kinds of tours. So it, it's, 
I like one of the biggest things that we have talked about, especially at post pandemic, was how much AEW was leaning into New Japan. But we were always worried about like impact, or more importantly, how CMLL that relationship was. So the fact that they're they're now leaning heavily into it, and being like, no, this is also a very big part of our culture mm-hmm. as a company, and that relationship is truly valuable and important to us, and we want to protect it. I appreciate this match. And certainly, if we're talking about you know the continuation of AEW and New Japan crossover stuff, the fact that the real Forbidden Door, you know, CMLL in AEW has been opened, and apparently, you know, I, I, there was a I can't remember who posted it, but uh, might have been Voices of Wrestling. Somebody sort of had the inside scoop on the whole you know AAA versus CMLL thing in AEW, and basically the sense of it uh, that they were reporting was that look, as long as AAA talent is not on the same match, you know, as as the CML talent or possibly on the same show uh it's all good they're, they're not really too bothered by it so all manner of this sort of crossover likely to happen in america in japan in cmll in AEW, in new japan uh up next we've got our new japan strong women's title match with the champ julia defending against hyan um at the press conference the day before julia noted that the the day of the actual show would mark the sixth anniversary of her wrestling debut uh as far as hyan goes uh julia said i don't know much about her but she looks nice um unlike julia karen you do know a good deal about high do you maybe want to uh bring our listeners up to speed on julia's challenger here uh i i knew and just to like to continue the have they been to, like basically full disclosure I do, I do the has this wrestler been to japan and see what i can find out um Hyan has done previous tours in japan uh, but none of them are affiliated with Stardom or Bushi Road. She did go from April to June of 2019, but also went through three companies that do seemingly work regularly with Stardom, which include Marvelous, Pro Wrestling Wave, and Sendai Girls, which was is or formerly Mako Satsumura's uh, production up in, up in Miyagi Prefecture. There we go. See again, just just bringing the history lessons here. I'm try. Uh, I try. I'm trying real hard. <laughs> I don't think you need uh, either Karen or myself, though, to point out uh, that, you know, I think Julia's star presence in North America is really, really palpable. And she got a very good reaction coming out. Uh, Hyan has a slight size advantage and is using some shoulder checks and sidewalk slams, more power based moveset, while Julia is kind of sticking and moving with Beals, Snapmares, Dropkicks. Julia is nominally doing some heel work here, you know, kind of holding moves in the ropes and whatnot, but the crowd is having none of it as and is entirely behind her. Uh, Hyan hoots a suicida, but Julia is back into things with an avalanche butterfly suplex, which Hyan immediately replies to with a falcon arrow, uh, with both women out on the mat at about nine minutes in. Uh, a very elevated powerbomb with a high stack from Hyan gets a two. A spear from Hyan gets another two count, but Julia rallies with a Saito suplex and a running knee for two and ends up putting Hyan away with the Northern Lights bomb at 12 minutes. Um, I thought this was pretty pretty damn good uh maybe not quite up to the standard of some of the higher profile julia singles matches that we have seen obviously in stardom but also in uh you know the odd new japan show here and there um i thought high end looked good and her power move set i think distinguishes her from a lot of the stardom talent that we see in the new japan women's mix uh, obviously the first strong open or the strong women's champion uh willow nightingale being the exception there but i did appreciate that there was a little bit of a styles clash happening here yeah, that's that's immediately what I thought of was that uh, High End reminds me, like height wise, of, of her match with Willow, Willow Nightingale. Uh, 
match quality wise, I would suggest people go back or chase up her match against Risa Sarah. Uh, her de- her her defense against Risa Sarah was really really good. Um, and yeah, this ma- I mean, I, I know that Hyun had been away from the ring for a little while, and she had recently gone to the UK for a couple of months to do some tours over there. I am curious to see if they'll continue. Uh, if she'll become one of those women that gets folded into the new Japan strong brand, I think it's a great opportunity for her. And yeah, Julia, you can tell that she's also used to fighting women who are either much closer to her height or more familiar with her style. So it wasn't that she necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a bad match, but I think this kind of uh, situation give is what stardom's wrestlers need because they're so used to wrestling the same people all the time and that you know, while Stardom is bringing in a foreign a foreign wrestler here and there, they 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 what they need to do is start sending more of their wrestlers to these kinds of shows to give them more experience because it'll only make them better wrestlers. Mm, good call there. Very much agreed. Yeah, I hadn't consciously thought of it that way, but you're you're bang on. I think. Up next, we've got our New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team Title Match with the champs Gorillas of Destiny, now including El Fantasmo, El Fantasmo and Hikaleu taking on Monster Sauce, the team of Alex Zane and Lance Archer. So a heads up uh, to everybody who is watching this on YouTube rather than just listening to it on their headphones. There's some nightmare fuel incoming here on the screen. So uh, feel free to close your eyes for a minute. Uh, We have, there we go. We've got Hikaleo and LP dressed up as Bert and Ernie respectively at the press conference. Um, At that press conference, Alex Zane talked about still holding a grudge uh, against LP and presumably Hikaleo as well uh, after all of the various Bullet Club beatdowns that he had endured and that, you know, fine, you know, these guys have turned over a new leaf, but that doesn't square things. Um, And notes that he sent the champs some mild Taco Bell sauce when also sending them a written challenge for these belts because he didn't think that Canadians could take that much heat. And look, as a Canadian who absolutely drowns his vegan Taco Bell in fire sauce, I take exception to that, sir. Uh, for his part, um, Archer talked about this just being the start of all things for Monster Sauce and also had, oh, I've forgotten the name that is given to the little um, the little action figure version of Lance Archer, who has occasionally sat in uh, on some New <laughs> Japan commentary with, with Kevin Kelly. I can't forget the little pen, uh, pet name uh, that they have. Was name, that. Was name, he was Mini Monster or Mini Monster Sauce? Something, Mini, mini yeah, something along I think it was Mini lines. Monster. That sounds right. Um, so tonight, the champs are accompanied by a couple of guys wearing the Burton Ernie outfits. <gasps> and if you don't think that they weren't immediately laid out by Lance Archer before the belt, you have another thing coming. Uh, I'll say that, you know, the two big men, Hikaleo and Archer facing off is a legitimately impressive sight. Obviously, Archer has a little bit more <laughs> girth, a little bit more, you know, dad bod strength uh, than Hikuleo, who's probably, I don't know, 10 years younger than them at least. Um, but it is still like just one of those impressive, like, yeah, these are two really good bo- big guys squaring off. Uh, they both tease suplexes, but neither man is able to get the other up and over. LP gets a set of springboard moonsaults and a sit-out powerbomb on Zane for two. We then get dueling old school rope walking spots with both LP and Archer walking the same rope towards one another. Again, uh, you know, a a real sight to behold here and exchanging slaps where they're both on the ropes. Obviously Archer is able to just clock LP square off of the rope. Um, 
A kick, uh, a kick-assisted spin-out netbreaker on Zane by LP gets to a cannonball rana choke slam and assisted moonslot moonsault on LP by Monster Sauce is broken up by Hikuleo. We get a whole host of choke slams on both of his opponents by Hikuleo. A sudden death by LP sends Archer outside and an assisted Thunder Kiss eighty-six on Zane gives the champs their first successful defense at nine and a half minutes in. Uh, immediately after the win, the West Coast Wrecking Crew are in the ring and low blow and beat down the G.O.D. team. And on the mic, Jarrell Nelson reminds us of their pedigree in Strong, to our point earlier about them being very much New Japan Strong Originals. And for his part, Isaac says that he's sick of fly-by-night tag teams getting the opportunities that they deserve, like Monster Sauce or fly-by-night champions like the G.O.D. team. And we have another match set up for Lone Star Shootout. Um... If you are a regular listener to these uh, New Japan reviews that Karen and I do, you will know that I am very much on record uh, as not having held out much hope for Hikuleo's prospects in New Japan. And I will admit that, you know, when LP sort of joined up with G.O.D., I was still quite skeptical. However, I think that this odd couple pairing between Hikuleo and LP has done a really good job of kind of paperowing over some of the gaps in Hikuleo's game and allowed him to play to his strengths. And seeing them as this kind of odd couple, big and small sort of team facing off against a similarly mismatched big and small team, you know, it had some novelty to it. Um, you know, I I don't know that I would ever have imagined myself saying this about a Hikaleo match, you know, during the G1, but I kind of would have enjoyed seeing this go a couple of more minutes. And, you know, we never saw either big man suplex the other. Uh, so that's something that could be wound back. I thought a pretty enjoyable match here, Karen. It's one of those things where we were talking about names that are synonymous with New Japan Strong. I mean, I'm going to keep coming back to it because I'm I'm I'm, I'm threading everything together now. And, you know, Lance Archer, for me, Lance Archer, like, he, he's doing his thing in AEW, and I respect that. But when is he, he comes... Is he doing his thing in AEW? <laughs> like, that's, that... that's what the kids tell me. I don't know, but... He showed up for the first time in months uh, a week ago there. I... I... I don't know, man. It, he he just hits different in New Japan. And I love I love it that he even though you know Suzuki Goon's gone and you know he's gone off and done his own thing, he still comes back home every now and then. And he's also one of the people that like really becomes synonymous with New Japan Strong. Same thing with Alex yeah. Zane. I love that. I love yes. Are they an odd uh, odd uh, odd couple tag team? Yes, but you know what? It they have fun. The 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 rope the rope walking thing was it stupid? Was it harmless? Yes. Did I enjoy it? absolutely was i worried that the rope was going to break kind of like you know chris hero versus keith lee a little bit (laughs) glad it didn't (laughs) but it was one of those things where it kind of also helped balance out the odd pair uh, odd couple pairing of hikaleo Mm -hmm. and elp because you you have two quote-unquote junior heavyweights that do fight open weight and or heavyweight regularly and that kind of adds an extra little layer of fun to everything Mm -hmm. And again, it had the right amount of it had the right amount of shenanigans, but also the right amount of wrestling. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, I am. I, I was happy to see Zayn and Archer back because I've seen them when New Japan comes to Florida. They're usually two of the people that are always on those shows. So it's again a homecoming of sorts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, Gato. Look, if TK is not going to be booking Archer, get him for those dates because please, you're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. He's, <laughs> please. He's, he's, 
he's, he's such a great resource. Um, up next, we have another champ, uh, another strong uh, championship match. This one, the open weight, the strong open weight title, uh, that belt that as Karen referred to was held by Tom Lawler for such a long time. The current champion, Eddie Kingston taking on Hinare. Uh, we get a quick highlight reel of these two calling each other out and sort of crossing swords from the G1 through Royal quest. Um, Part of Hanari's contention here is that uh, after sort of challenging Ke- uh, Kingston during the G1, he feels that Kingston has been ducking him, defending the belt back in North America. While for Kingston's part, he says that he's bringing prestige to this particular belt. I look in addition to the actual people involved here. I was really looking forward to this simply because this is exactly the sort of like no frills, no BS match and feud that I want out of my Japanese wrestling that I want out of my strong branded shows. This isn't, I mean, name, whatever, you know, overly gimmicky, uh, you know, sort of feud or angle that might be happening in a WWE right now. This is literally just about Hanare wanting a shot at this title, feeling as though he hasn't been given that shot. And the, 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 the resentment between the two has been simmering for the last few months. That's great. That's fine. That's all pro wrestling needs to be. It's not rocket science. Damn it. Anyway. Yes. So I very much appreciated just the meat and pe- meat and potatoes setup uh, of this particular match. So I, I would oh, like please, to wish yeah. you a, a, a very happy Hosmas. We feast again, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 we've waited. We've waited. And I'm excited because this was, again, when I, I the strong open weight, remi- what reminds me also of the, the never when it's usually at its like peak, when we're always talking about like, give us beefy, beefy people just fighting for the things. This is exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it's the whole question of kind of the, the identity of the strong belt in relation to or in tandem with uh, the never belt is a really interesting question, I think, if we're talking about what talent and what belts are being showcased on American New Japan shows versus what stays uh, in Japan. That's a it's some interesting pieces that they have. And again, that was not to get it too ahead of myself, but that was sort of part of the question that I really had in my head going into our main event. But we're not there yet. We are looking at uh, Kingston defending against Hanare. Uh, Hanare spin kicks Kingston out of the ring for some walk and brawl in the early going and stays in control back in the ring for a good portion of this match. Um, Eddie goes for a butterfly suplex, but Hanare headbutts him down and gets a two count with a senton. Kingston invites some kicks to the chest and gives his own variant of the machine gun chops, perhaps pointing towards his next challenger if he is able to get through Hanare. Uh, Hits a T-bone variant of his exploder suplex. Kingston drops the straps for a chop exchange. Hanare gets a full Nelson slam, a running knee, and the rampage spear-styled side slam and a P K for two. Kingston counters Hanare's Streets of Rage attempt with three back fists punctuated by strikes of his own from Hanare, and Kingston falls on Hanare, kind of just collapsing on top of him for a two count with both men effectively out. The two exchange forearms and side, su- and however, a side suplex and the exploder suplex sets up another pair of back fists from Kingston to drop Hanare and give Eddie Kingston the win at 12 and a half minutes. Uh, Kojima is out immediately before Kingston has any chance to celebrate. He congratulates Kingston and says, you are very strong, but I have bread. And in Texas, I will kick your ass. Kingston says, I'll see you in Texas, motherfucker. And I feel as though we have had almost the entirety of that Dallas show um, set up. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, Karen. This was a Haas fight. I don't know that this quite got 
to the 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 level of intensity that I was hoping it might build to. Uh, it was very much built around Kingston fighting from underneath and so having to overcome one, overcome somebody with just a little bit more raw power than he had. But I did feel there were a couple of times when it felt a little bit on the slower and methodical side and didn't quite get into that next gear uh, or, you know, kind of really kick into that real sense of menace that I think Hanare can have. And if you look at some of the better matches that he had in the G1 this year, when he really does kind of turn on that very, very intense uh, kind of, you know, beast level sort of uh, sense of menace, uh, this ended up kind of being more of a, like, kind of a grueling endurance contest rather than just the full out slobber knocker that you might have expected it's one of those things where like i it's if they had maybe five more minutes i think they could have used that last bit to do a sprint that we're usually accustomed to like in a g1 or a never uh, a, a standard never open weight uh singles match where it's just like i don't know if it's it was the time constraint that they were working with would i like to see it again yes but it, it's, it, I am curious to see, because I feel like Hanari was holding back a bit in this match, and I don't know why. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen him have more fierce contests with other people, especially, you know, Shingo's another guy that, you know, Hanari's always been like, whenever you're champion, you're always ducking me. You're always ducking me. So it, it's the, I wanted more for Hanare in this match. Not that, like, I mean, ideally, I would would I like to have him seen him become champion? Sure, but the fact that Kojima won, I was very much wondering if uh, Eddie Kingston was going to be able to live out his all Japan fanboy love with my personal favorite. <laughs> and, you know, as WH Park's uh, long and winding Royal Road goes, Eddie Kingston gets to face Kojima in a singles match in Texas next week or two mm-hmm. weeks from now. So it, it's, it's, I feel like they're they're also rewarding Eddie's a bit, like due diligence for working both promotions and both or all three promotions New Japan New Japan Strong and AEW all concurrently and if you want to throw a Ring of Honor in there if too. you want to count a Ring of Honor yeah <laughs> you want to count all four like the man the man's been busy but he tries to give his all to all four um so if if he's taking a, a, a less than a hundred percent approach in this match that's okay because I feel like I would rather him work safe than get hurt and you know that and then be yeah. on the shelf for however long so yeah yeah he's got a pretty jammed up dance card uh but it occur- I, I don't know if it obviously both of them were the the respective never champs coming into this uh or the strong champs coming into tonight but it only occurred to me in watching this match karen that we have our two strong champions our men's and our women's who both use the northern lights bomb as a finisher and specifically with julia and eddie using the respective variants of legendary power couple akira hokuto and kensuke sasaki julia does a hokuto styled northern lights bomb kingston does a Saki styled northern lights bomb now she's, the, she's done that in front of akira hakuto on commentary oh, oh yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the she has the blessing so it's, it's very much it's, it's kind of like an extra special little like tidbit <laughs> now this is not to say that i want like a romance angle between julia and no, eddie kingston no. on stardom or AEW. but look if tk wants to bring hakuto and sasaki in as special guests for the next forbidden door if julia and kingston uh, are on that for a photo op or something like that uh i i will not complain um you know akira hakuto is one of my 
favorites of all time, uh, as, as I regularly gas out about uh, on these shows. So, so any anything uh, that celebrates uh, her and, again, uh, the dynasty that she has with her husband is, is, is always welcomed by me. All right. We've got a kind of our de facto. We were talking about New Japan versus New Japan strong flavor. We sort of have our de facto New Japan traditional multi-man match here. Um, we were talking sort of about the question of to what degree and to what extent kind of the New Japan star power is being brought over for these sorts of strong shows. Uh, and certainly our uh, our penultimate match, a tag match between the LIJ team of Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito taking on the Just Five Guys duo of Sonata and the recently uh, joined up with Just Five Guys, Yuya Yurimura, definitely has that star power on it. Um that said, this did sort of feel, and we'll get into it, but uh, looking at this on paper, I was sort of looking at this and kind of thinking, okay, this is a match that has been set up, obviously, to you know point towards the, the Tokyo Dome and the Wrestle Kingdom match, but it's also been put up there to sell some tickets, right? This has been, you know, this is getting uh, Naito and Takahashi on the, on the, on the bill uh, in order to sort of give North American fans that kind of that new Japan juice or that new Japan hit. However, I did not have especially high hopes for the actual match that we were going to see. I don't know if you had that same reservation as me, Karen. Well, it's one of those things when, you know, post pan or sorry, pre pandemic LIJ was one of the regular featured groups at all new japan shows post pandemic they've been sending them like you know one or two at a time here and there uh uemura did a lot when he was on at the beginning of his excursion here in the states he did do some of the a lot of the new japan like like strong shows and then he just kind of vanished into the vapor to work the indies and go over to impact Mm -hmm. um but so it's it, it was nice to have like kind of that return to bringing a showcase match with you know formerly you know half of lij but it, it was one of the things where it's just like i didn't have i wasn't expecting anything particularly and i hate to say that that the bar was like kind of low for this yeah. match just because i know they weren't going to give away one they want to keep a more strong because he just got back Two, Hiromu's not getting pinned necessarily anytime soon because he's 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 already punched his ticket to the Tokyo Dome. You've got your G1 winner. You've got your current world champion. So it was very, I was very curious to see which direction they were going to go with this match. That being said, I feel like it didn't need to be ranked higher than all three of the other title matches. Agreed. On the card. Agreed. Yep. It, it should have been the mid mid midpoint palette cleanser match before the the championship matches. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I understand, but they don't want the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship like moseying out halfway through the show. But it wasn't a title match, so it doesn't really need to be like that. Like I'm in such a, like I didn't think this needed to be the semi main event. But no, I also no. see why they have it there because they, you don't want to have this LIJ match halfway through the card and then have all the LIJ fans possibly leave afterwards. <laughs> or kind of, yeah, having that like, oh, wait, who, you know, in terms of just the, the more casual, uh, you know, attendees sort of sense of, oh, well, who are the stars who are left on this one? You know, oh, yeah. Naito and Tanahashi have already come through or, or whatever it yeah. might be. And so they, I, I understand why it was placed here, but given wh- what was also on the card, it just felt... I know why they did it, but I don't agree with it. And I'm allowed to disagree. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. 
Um, in terms of that question of star uh, star power, I thought all four guys got pretty decent reactions from the crowd. Yeah. There was not nearly as much disparity between Naito and Sonata as in terms of crowd noise uh, as there often very much is in Japan. Uh, those two start off and Naito immediately spits in Sonata's face. Ugh, the loogie is wiped on poor Justin's ref shirt. Uh, Yuamura grabs Naito's legs, preventing him from getting a tope. And the heat storm, Yu Yuamura is working over Naito, but he's quickly double teamed and cut off on the LIJ side uh, of the ring for about five minutes uh, before Sonata is in putting Naito in a paradise lock and immediately slowing down the pace of this match uh, after, you know, the, the, the fire from the aforementioned heat storm. Uh, Yuamura and Takahashi speed things up a little bit. Takahashi gets a falcon arrow for two, as it seems like the story here is that LIJ are much more practiced with the quick tags uh, cutting off of the ring and covering for one another. There's a nice strike exchange which drops both younger men and leads to a simultaneous tag in of Naito and Sonata and the crowd goes not mild but like uh, what, what's what's the what's the what's the taco bell sauce between mild and fire do they just have medium or is that just hot it's, I don't know. it's just medium it's, it's okay it's, okay it's, it's, it's extra medium we'll, we'll get we'll get the we'll we'll ask uh, alex zane for his sauce ratings on on this crowd pop here but um <laughs> naito spits in sonata's face again and immediately uh. eats a backdrop for it sonata gets a magic screw for two gets the skull end in takahashi cuts off sonata's moonsault attempt there are two more spits in sonata's face leaving me thinking that naito just has to be running dry here um karen you have a dog you know that when they go to mark their territory for like the fifth time on a walk but there's just nothing left in the tank and it's a completely hollow gesture that's what this felt like here like dude you you got nothing left just just keep moving just Um, go for the combi combination de cabron and call it a day man exactly well he moves on in fact to the esperanza uh but uamuro breaks up a destino attempt there are quick strikes from all four men in the ring including a shining wizard to naito as there's now only two minutes left on the 20 minute clock. Sonata gets a TKO on Naito, but that's broken up by Hiromu and the skull end is locked in as the clock runs out at 20 minutes. Uh, Sonata, and Naito, Sonata and Naito pose with the belt and tote bag, respectively, uh, before heading to the back. While all of a sudden, Danny Limelight runs out and attempts to pin Hiromu uh, for the DDT Heavy Metalweight Championship, uh, which is, of course, defended under 24-7 rules. And the two of them scuffle to the back uh, without any pinfalls. Now, Karen has done some research, and we have found (laughs) a little bit more information related to that. But let's stick a pin in the DDT business uh, and talk about this actual match. Um, Obviously, for me, at least, going into this, that question that we sort of had of what was this match going to be? Where should it be placed? For me... You know, this was just another chance to see Yuya Uemura in his new faction. But obviously, practically speaking, in terms of what it was, this is just kind of a road to the dome warm up. Um, as we obviously and continue to see with Tanahashi, there are certain New Japan wrestlers that American audiences are just happy to see, regardless of what they're doing. Um, I don't know that Naito is quite as beloved on this side of the Pacific as he is in Japan compared to. Uh, you know, if you were to sort of port over the, the the proportion of people who are diehard LIJ fans in Japan versus North America, you, you follow what I, what I'm saying here. Um, you know, but the, in terms of what this ended up being, yeah, it was kind of what I was worried it might be, which is just sort of a standard New Japan multi man. Um, I thought the moments with Yuyamura with Yuyamura and Takahashi were fine. But the Sonata and Naito stuff really kind of dragged for me. Uh, I don't want to rehash points you and I have made countless times about the Sonata title reign on these shows, Karen. 
But you compare the feeling, and I literally got goosebumps uh, when all of a sudden I realized, oh, right, Brian Danielson and Okada have just tagged in and are staring across the ring from one another. That feeling that we got on Dynamite on Wednesday with the effective silence that really greeted any of the Sonata and Naito moments when those two tagged in and stared off against each other. And, you know, again, not to beat a dead horse here, but this just does not feel like an exciting uh, or interesting Wrestle Kingdom main event. It's just one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to understand what the plan is for them. Like, are they intentionally holding back now for just like doing like what, what, what they call in Japanese called a kaudashi, just like showing up and showing your face and then like dipping out for the time being? Like, we got them on the card. They did a little, they did a little showcase. But the real thing's going to happen at the Dome. Like, I want one of the things that like, once we hit October, in dome season, it's the I want to start feeling the excitement of the dome, the the anticipation. I want to see what like if they get their hands on them each other, just just for like five seconds, what's gonna happen? Mm-hmm. But this was like he had him in the skull's end, and I was like, why? Am, I'm not I'm not feeling anything. Like I feel no nope. electricity. I'm not feeling no excitement, and it it sucks because I am fans of these wrestlers and i want good things for them but it's the are they are they okay just coming out here and doing what they could have easily made this a 15 minute match it didn't need to go 20 minutes if they're going to do a time limit draw make it a 15 minute match like it (laughs) it just felt like there was i what i wasn't operating under the excitement or assumption that anyone was going to have this breakout moment in this match the closest came to, you know, it was Daniel and like going after, you know, Hiromu afterwards. Or, so it was just, I just, I, I, like, I know why they put them on there, but if you're going to, if you're going to go so far as to bring your, your world champion over and he worked, Def- I think it was Defy. He worked Defy the night before. Mm. Like he worked some Northwest indie the night before, but why was there more buzz about him doing that match than this match? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, that, it, that, and, that, and it hurts to say that. It really does. It Again, just to kind of repeat the points that you and I keep saying, it's an experiment. It has not worked. Sonata, I think, has shown that it isn't just the booking. It isn't just, you know, which matches he's given or how infrequently he's been working. It's just that that other gear is not there. That big match shift, you know, uh, in, into something of a higher register than just, you know, the, okay, it's, it's, it's my eighth G1 match on a, you know, in a, in a small, in a very small, you know, rural town or something like that. You don't see that transition over to, and get that big match feel uh, with him. You were talking about the excitement of, uh, of the, of Danny Limelight going for uh, Hiromu's DDT heavy metal weight championship. Uh, again, for, you know, uh, free listeners who maybe haven't heard us talk about this before, this is, of course, the DDT-related belt that is contested uh, under 24-7 rules that Hiromu was making some plays for uh, at a previous New Japan show and ended up winning uh, at a DDT show, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Karen has done some digging and found out that even after uh, this show tonight, 
tonight, um, or last night, I should say, I suppose, uh, the heavy metal weight championship shenanigans continued. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Karen, if you can maybe just walk us through what we're seeing here on Sumi Sakai's Twitter here, this video so that she's posted. Apparently after, you know, in the middle of the night, she, one of the referees and a cameraman snuck across the old Sam's town and keep their way into Hiromu Takahashi's hotel room. And why would they be doing that? Because there is a belt that's conveniently placed on the other bed, but Hiromu's fallen asleep, and his phone is on his chest, and has become, has pinned him for a three count. And just to make sure that she's got her bases covered, Sumi pins it, Hiromu wakes up, and oh my gosh, what's going on? He's half asleep, she's celebrating, and he's like, he rolls up. He's like, no, 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 that's mine. Taking it back. But the poor thing about Hiromu is that usually when people key into a wrestler's room is because they've overslept and they're about to miss the transport to the hotel <laughs> or to the next town. So he tells her, I thought I overslept. Like he was freaking <laughs> out. So Sumi went through all this trouble. But what I love is that the referee, he walks through the hotel with her in his New Japan uh, pro wrestling jersey takes it off outside to reveal that he's still dressed in his referee gear. Mm. I'm pretty sure that he was out. <laughs> and then, yeah, so the, the, and you know, you know, the devil works hard, but cage match works harder. It has already been updated to include the 1,585th champion is actually Hiromu Takahashi's iPhone, followed by oh Sumi Sakai at 1586, and then Hiromu reclaiming it at 1587. Yeah, so if if you're not accustomed to DDT shenanigans, you did in fact see three title changes in that 45 second video uh, that we just watched there. So, you know, yeah, um, different styles of comedy in Japan, perhaps than in North America. Uh, something very, very different. Uh, no shenanigans, no cell phones being, you know, crowned champions happening in our main event. Uh, a defense of the never open weight title in which the new champ Tomatonga is making his first against uh, defense rather against Shingo Takagi. Uh, this was a match that was set up by a time limit draw in this year's G1 and then a formal challenge, which happened at the recent Royal Quest show. Um, I was interested in this, you know, not so much for the match itself, although, I mean, I, I figured it would be pretty great um, as Alan Farrell and a lot of other people have been talking about, uh, talking about as we head into uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame season. Shingo has, I think, one of the greatest bell-to-bell resumes of anybody working today. But in addition to that, beyond the actual match itself, I was really interested to see how these two and the Never Belt itself are going to kind of fit into, I think, a still very stirring mixing and kind of up in the air new japan milieu uh you know with the king of the pro wrestling belt moving over to you know show and all of the hot bs we don't have that sort of being the the belt that you know shingo and uh taichi are just going to continue to have epic striking battles uh over so is the never belt going to kind of once again kind of become that you know for diehard fans of just you know meaty men and slapping meat uh is, is that what this is going to be um you know where is shingo going to be you know again a possible you know wrestling observer hall of famer uh where is he kind of uh, standing within New Japan. I don't know if you're remembering this, Karen, but Shingo was in the New Japan Rambo 
at Wrestle Kingdom this year. And that is just something that should never happen. You should never be burying somebody like Shingo Takagi in just your get everybody in the multi-man rumble uh, on the big show just to get him a payday and just to have his name on the card. That is a horrible waste of a talent uh, like Shingo's that should never be repeated. Especially being the world champion in the lead up to the previous year. Yeah. 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 Just, just, just some criminal, criminal downcycling of Shingo, but what will his fate be after this challenge of Tamatanga? Let's find out. Uh, there's some slow and I think pretty evenly matched grappling to start uh, with each man sort of measuring the other and building towards some harder elbow drops and lariats. Shingo hits a DDT on Tama on the floor and a vertical suplex back in the ring. Some wag in the crowd has the guts to yell, you suck Shingo and immediately gets more booze than anybody else has all night. Uh, Tama fights back with a high drop kick and starts speeding things up about seven or eight minutes in uh, with some forearms and lariats, rips off the vest, giving Vegas a glimpse of those absolutely cheese grater abs, uh, and then gets a two count with a power slam. Tama puts the sharpshooter on. Shingo fights back with a running DDT and says it's time, 13 minutes into our main event. He hits a sliding lariat, but Tama's targeting of the knee keeps him from following up with a cover. Tama escapes a made-in-Japan attempt, and we get a flurry of suplexes from both guys. Tama hits a DDT and holds onto it in the guillotine position, but Shingo counters that into a neckbreaker. The first of several very nifty countering sequences that are going to be happening in this match. Uh, we're sort of at a stalemate now, 17 minutes in, with forearms and headbutts being exchanged, but without much mustard on them uh, at this point. An SRC from Tama sets up the Supreme Flow for two, and Tama calls for the gun stun, but Shingo reverses that into a gory bomb. Shingo gets a pumping bomber and a made in Japan for two. Tama reverses a last of the dragon attempt into the Tonkin twist and hits an impaler DDT for two. Shingo blocks another gun stun and hits a tiger driver for two and gets a modified STF on. Tama makes it to the ropes, eats a pumping bomber, but kicks out at one. A last of the dragons attempt is also very coolly reversed into a gun stun for two. Shingo for his pound counters a DSD attempt. That's the double underhook basically a J driller uh, that Tama has been using. There are headbutts from both men. Shingo reverses another DST this time into a Rana and hits his own gun stun and another pumping bomber for a 2.9 count. Shingo is able to get Tamatanga up for a Last of the Dragons and this time delivers it for the one, two, three at just over a very grueling 26 minutes. Um, up until this point, Karen, not to sort of jump ahead to my final thoughts on this show. Up until this point, I thought that everything that was on the main bulk of the card, leaving the pre-show aside, I thought that the pretty much every match on this show had been enjoyable. You know, I didn't feel bad about watching anything with the possible exception of that multi-man before, which just ugh, dragged on. Leaving that one aside, let's say everything else on this card I thought was like, this is pretty enjoyable. It's fun. It's a varied card. It has that, you know, um, when I talk about rating matches or when I'm rating craft beer that I'm drinking or whatever, I have a certain level of like, I am doing X and I am enjoying X. I am watching wrestling and I'm enjoying the fact that I'm watching wrestling. I'm drinking this beer and I'm enjoying the fact that I'm drinking this beer. And I sort of felt that pretty much everything on this card, again, with the exception of the multi-man, sort of hovered at that level didn't really rise above it didn't really rise below it i was kind of hoping that something on this card was going to kind of jump up and grab me by the throat and go god damn it this is new japan wrestling uh and yeah we i think we got that in our main event here it's it's one of those things where i i feel like the monkey paw has followed me again because i one of the things i said is that i want tama to fight 
incredible names that are synonymous with the never open weight. And Shingo is one of those names that I've been dropping for a while, but not like this. Like I, I love Shingo. I think he's a great never open weight champion. I feel like he should be more in going after Osprey and that US UK identity crisis belt. I understand. I understand why they did it because this is probably them starting to set up Shingo for the dome. But again, Tama has not had. I, I want justice for Tama Tonga on this because he has not had one reign with this belt that has lasted more than one defense or two at the most. Like it, it, it just. I don't know why they they put the belt back on him only for him to lose it again. He shouldn't it have to be a, trans, yeah. a transitional champion three times in a row. That's not fair to him. You know what I'm saying? I guess it was just, I mean, like we talked about last time, I think it was just to sort of, you know, uh, hopefully finish off the, um, the, the the feud with Finley. But it does sort of kneecap him, I agree, a little bit moving forward. But the problem is, is that now that he doesn't have the belt, I feel like he's also free to get back to fighting. And, like, I feel like him and Finley are on a crash course all of a sudden, all over again. Or it's going to be him and Evil. Like, I, I just... I wanted Tama to have some time with the belt so he could continue to build his stock as a singles competitor. Mm, mm. I don't want, like, I know I'm fairly certain that him and him and Tongalo, and now that he's all healed up, they're going to be together for tag league. Don't, I don't know what the end game is or what, like, and again, yeah, okay, so she, we're going to set up a match for Shango. That's great, but. Like what? It, what? What? Tama's been one of the guys that, when New Japan Strong launched, was consistently working with that brand because you know for the first you know year or so he couldn't get back into Japan mm-hmm. anyway. But it's one of those things. He's he's done his due diligence. He's been doing these tours. I don't know why he needed to lose. Like if he was going to lose the belt, have him lose it back in Japan. Like he didn't need to lose it here. Mm. I mean, we you know again. I think yeah. The the World Tag League question is is. Yeah, that that could very much be a factor here. But yeah, it's sort of between this, uh, the finish of this, and again, kind of the booking of of the semi-main, it did sort of feel like there are just, there there are so many masters to serve here. There are so many future shows being set up. Not just the Dallas one, which, oh God, we're not even finished. uh, But wait, there's more. (laughs) Oh, there's more. There's more about that to come up. But yeah, you know, with everything heading to the Dome, but us still to get through World Tag League, there's a lot there. And if that means that sort of, you know, some particular stories kind of get a little bit, you know, stunted or cut off, you know i guess for a smaller show in north america that's that's a bullet they're willing to bite Uh, but again i I really want to underline here that this was a really really fun main event uh this was all about the question of whether tama could sort of survive and endure shingo and again to to your comment about the the work that he has put in as a singles competitor over the last couple of years really showing that heart that i think we associate with the never belt and i think you know having all of those super cool like gunstun counters but ultimately not being able to have an answer for that last uh last of the dragons attempt made for a very very fun and entertaining match that i think showcased not just, you know, kind of like, oh, it was a good match between both guys, but it showcased the strengths that both guys have. I think Shingo's are very well known at this point. Uh, but, you know, those of us who have been watching Thomas singles matches more closely are maybe a bit more attuned to that sort of counter-based work that he's been doing here. And I thought that this was a really nice showcase for that. Um, so on the mic after the match, uh, Shingo says it's his time. Tama is strong, but he has won. It's his third never open weight championship reign and asks who's next. Who, excuse me. Who's next. He asks for someone to come out, please from the back. Anyone, no one. 
okay, maybe in Japan. Uh, he's beginning to bid everyone farewell when the lights go out, and we get a video challenge up on the board from Trent Beretta, who says, you, me, never open weight championship, Dallas, Texas, what do you say? Shingo is obviously fine with this and fist bumps the front row as the show ends. Uh, we'll get to the uh, the lineup for this Dallas card, which was set up entirely on this night. Um, but again, to kind of, you know, just underline my points about the show overall, I thought that this was like an even modulated and enjoyable, but sort of unremarkable card, at least up until uh, the main event. Um to our point about this being the first U.S. strong card in a while, I appreciate how much of this was meant to bridge to that Dallas show. But look, you know, if you're the sort of person who maybe hasn't watched any of the shows with the, the women's strong title, uh, or if you were somebody who maybe bought this show uh, on fight on the basis of Eddie Kingston giving the strong belt some shine on AEW. I don't know. I'm wondering if you might have if you might have sort of felt as though, oh, so wait, this wasn't actually the big show. Dallas is the big show. Uh, I don't know. And I wouldn't necessarily want to speak for the more casual New Japan viewer. But if nothing else, I feel a bit hypocritical complaining about that when right off, right off at the top, you and I were sort of talking about wanting to get that real sort of New Japan strong continuity rolling again. And I thought that this very much did that and gave us a real clear sense as to where we're going with strong uh, for the short to medium term future. If it's one of those things where they're going to resume having regular, like, monthly New Japan Strong shows or, you know, re regular tapings or, you know, regular like, every other month, uh, a, a, a more consistent schedule for New Japan Strong, I'm mm -hmm. fine with them, you know, kind of doing what they used to do when they used to batch tape them. And, you know, you had, like, 17 matches on a card, but you would you'd have the next, like, th two months mapped out as a whole. That's fine. Um it's just one of those things where it's just like was like as I mentioned earlier about flying out for a show. If I flew out for this show, I'd be ultimately angry at myself because all of a sudden the show that's they're going to have in two two weeks time already sounds like a better show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's like I am excited that Trent Beretta is finally making his way back to New Japan because for those for those who may not be familiar, I mean, while he does do the whole chaos shtick in AEW. He was regularly a part of Chaos Proper in Japan with Okada oh, yeah. and Rocky and everybody else. And when they did the first new beginning show in the USA back in 2018, he was him and Juice were in the main event for the US Championship. So it was one of those things where it's like I'm glad to see that Brett is finally making like, like a wayward son finally making his way back home. Where it's I feel mm -hmm. like yes, he does he and the gang over in AEW are doing things. But much like Lance Archer coming back to to New Japan or Alex Zane coming back, Trent Beretta coming back to New Japan strong and New Japan hopefully New Japan proper in the future, that's a big deal, mm -hmm. especially for like the, the the chaos nostalgia. It's 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 a very big deal, and I'm I'm curious to see how this new the AEW version of Beretta fares against somebody like Shingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be really interesting to see that. You know, I think a lot of people have sort of talked about. You know, I mean, whatever, the, the best friend stuff has been enjoyable. And obviously he's had to play second fiddle to Cassidy in AEW. But, you know, if you haven't watched, you know, some of that singles work or the tag work that Beretta did, you know, back in New Japan, you know, you know, you might be sort of unaware of his ability to kind of hang at that sort of level. So, yeah, him mixing it up with Shingo. Yeah, it's it's very much a fresh 
uh, face within the Never Mix, and I'm very much looking forward to it as we are getting some Zelda content in <laughs> sorry, here sorry right at the that. last minute. Never, never apologize for Zelda <laughs> content. Uh, folks who are watching the YouTube are able to see Zelda's excitement uh, at one Trent Beretta getting back into the New Japan Mix. Now she wants, she wants to know if he likes dogs. Like, does he like dogs? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he better. I mean, my God. I, right? <laughs> what sort of monster doesn't? Um, Karen, you and I are going to be back this coming Saturday with a review of New Japan's Power Struggle show from the Edion Arena in Osaka. We should note that unlike this show, that show is for cafe patrons only. So head on over to postwrestlingcafe.com if you're not already a member. Just $6 a month gets you a slew of bonus material. Uh, I did a quick count and I found something like 10 bonus shows in that feed alone from just this week. So, you know, you multiply that by four and you divide that number by six and what are you talking about on a per penny basis uh with regards to the post bonus shows you get collision course impact reviews john pollock's news updates mcu later the nubian wrestling advocates the long and winding royal road ask away and so much more uh but enough with the advertisement let's take a quick look at that power struggle card again pulling it up here for those watching on youtube uh we've got a 20 minute frontier zone match this is the um I guess kind of the open door sort of uh, style of match that New Japan has been increasingly having on their domestic shows where you get uh, folks from outside promotions coming in. Uh, and we have a very Dragon Bait, Dragon Bait, excuse me, Dragon Gate based. <laughs> I guess that's like what, like a, like a maiden tied to a pole outside of the Dragon's Lair is, is Dragon Bait or something like that. But a Dragon Gate based team uh, of Mochizuki Jr., Yoshihiko Kato, uh, or Yoshihiko, Yoshiki Kato, excuse me, and Strong Machine J. Uh, as you and I talked about when this match was set up uh, a week or two ago, we've got Shota Umino challenging Will Ospreay for the US slash UK heavyweight championship match. Will Will Ospreay's ability to get a four and a half star match out of pretty much everybody continue as he takes Shooter on? Let's find out. Uh, part of the agreement uh, that that match was dependent upon was on uh, giving Great Okan another shot at John Moxley. So we've got that match with no belt attached to it or no stipulation as of yet attached to it. Uh, we have Tonga Loa taking on David Finley as again, kind of the question with regards to what's going on with Finley uh, continues and kind of the, the, the curiosity, let's say of Tonga Loa singles match continues in new Japan. Uh, we've got a tag match between the LIJ team of Yoda Suji and Tetsuya Naito taking on Yuya Yuamura and Sonata, uh, the Just Five Guys team, will be very interesting to see uh, Suji and Yuamura, part of the same Young Lion class, renew hostilities uh, now that they are back as full-fledged members of the New Japan roster on different factions. Uh, we've got a never-open-weight six-man tag team championship match with the championship team of Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kazuchika Okada taking on the TMDK team of Shane Hayes, Mikey Nichols, and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, feels a little bit arbitrary and out of nowhere, but no complaints. Uh, the question of how they want to continue to present these never open weight six man cha uh, championships. <laughs> New Japan picks up and drops these, uh, you know, at, at a moment's notice as to whether or not they're given any sense of priority, uh, depending on basically on what else Tanahashi and Okada are booked for at any one moment. Uh, and in our main event, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship being defended by Hiromu Takahashi, who is taking on the returning Taiji Ishii 
Ishimori, uh, who laid Hiromu out a couple of weeks ago, very much, you know, uh, blaming uh, Takahashi for putting him on the shelf with that lengthy neck injury. So that will be coming up on Saturday. Again, that show and plenty of others available at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, we should also mention here, or excuse me, that I guess that isn't our headlining match. We also have, uh, I forgot, sorry, sorry, uh, our actual headlining match. <laughs> a little, uh, the whole purpose of this current tour. <laughs> yes, yes, sorry. It, well, they didn't have the little silhouettes on the on the thing, so I the, X, the, the XX versus X and X. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. But we will also, see on that card uh the finals of the 2023 super junior tag league that tournament is i believe about two-thirds of the way through uh right now i'm clicking over to the current standings where uh the unlikely uh desperado team of del desperado and master wato is currently in the lead with eight and you've got a whole bunch of other teams uh the intergalactic jet setters of kashida and kevin knight uh the tmdk team of robbie eagles and kosei fujita tjp and francesco akira catch two 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 uh the bullet club war dogs of clark connors and drilla maloney and the hot team of show and yoshinobu kanemaru all also very much in the mix with six points apiece so i imagine based on the booking that we have seen thus far we are definitely going to be getting desperado and wato probably uh taking one of those spots but it remains to be seen who might be joining them in that main event so that's in one week's time uh Will, will we be doing a Dallas show? Who knows? Uh, New Japan is just just crunching this stuff out uh, and rolling it out so fast that it's impossible to say. Uh, any last closing thoughts, either about um, the Power Struggle card or just what you have on the docket, Karen, uh, if you want to let people know about the aforementioned uh, Dream Slam Monthly as well. Okay, so last last comment on the, sh- on the show. Uh, after Shingo's win and the announcement that uh, Trent Barreto was fighting him next, it was quote tweeted by the hottest free agent right now, Katsuhiko Nakajima, saying, congratulations, Shingo Takagi. So what's next? I'm all free. Give Ooh. me that match, please, and thank you. Okay, that's interesting then, because <laughs> please that's Please and thank that you. He- I mean, the the All Japan but, thing that's being set up now is pretty friggin' great. Like, that's that I might know. get me to re-up my All I Japan know. sub for a month. But that also <laughs> indicates that he hasn't... If he if that means that he has not signed uh, with All Japan, that's really interesting. He might be just... If he wants to bump around Japan and North America as a free agent for, like, a year before signing, I am A-OK with that. Uh, that I want to see Nakajima like mixing up with everybody. Um, um, but yeah, so for me, yes, Dream Slam Monthly, the October version just came out over the weekend. In addition to us covering uh, Power Struggle on Saturday, on Friday, post pro with WH Park and I will be dropping. And mm. on Sunday, I will be on MCU later with WH Park and Rich Fan. So if love me or hate me, guys, you're getting three doses of me this weekend. Oh man, I think I recorded four podcasts this weekend, <laughs> not just for post, but for my other stuff uh, as well. And it sounds like you've got that weekend coming up. It's coming next soon, weekend, Karen. <laughs> so all manner of stuff happening over uh, at the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, in terms of stuff that I could plug, nothing really, uh, especially off the top of my head. Um, the most recent uh, episode of Postmarks uh, with David, my host, co-host David Myers, and I speaking with Manny from Pacoima dropped on the free feed over at the Patreon uh, a couple. 
couple of weeks ago. And we've got another one of those uh, in the queue that I think people will be very, very excited about. Uh, apart from that, yeah, I'll be back here on Saturday behind uh, the cafe wall to talk about that power struggle show. So on behalf of Karen Peterson, I have been Bruce Lord. Thanks very much for listening and watching everybody. Take care.